Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Another exciting, scintillating unmissable edition of the Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, the Bauer and Rose podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We are here several times a week, Sunday mornings uh, on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. You can follow our social media wherever you get social media. Gary and I are still uh, learning what social media is. Uh, Gary just uh, got his Smith Corona typewriter fixed. So he's he's feeling pretty good. When my estate is settled, Tom, and all the antiques I have are actually auctioned off, you're going to be very jealous of the wealth I accumulated by not switching to all this newfangled stuff, but going to the stuff where you hit one key at a time. And whatever you type stays with you. It doesn't go all over the freaking world that, you know, you've been out of the country. Uh we knew about this story a little earlier, uh, but now there's a little bit more meat on it, that uh, in the time during the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, the Treasury Department, the FBI and others using the powers we gave them to monitor uh, foreign terrorists um, went to the banks. Are you going to tell this story before I get to tell my Gary Bauer story? Well, let me just finish real quick. Because we'll, it's a good I, one. I'd love to hear. It's it's a good one. I, I don't forget it. Oh, I, I won't forget it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, they, they went to the banks and said, hey, could you do like a check on your customers? Uh, and, uh, you know, voluntary, of course. Just like, remember how they used to go to the social media companies? Voluntary. Totally voluntary. Um, and uh, check for words like MAGA. Uh, Patriot. Patriot, Bible, Bible. Did any of your customers buy or do anything about Bibles? Uh, this was all part of the effort to track down uh, the people that came to Washington on January 6th. Not just the riot, the, the people that ended up rioting, uh, Tom. They're now saying publicly that if you stood on the lawn of the Capitol, you broke federal law, and they're going to track you down. Well, now we're probably talking about 50,000 people. I guess if they put enough Trump supporters in jail, he will lose the election. We've been focused on him being put in jail. Anyway, I digress. So tell your Bauer story. Well, the Bauer story, okay, it's funny. I, As you know, as listeners know, all seven of our listeners, I've been in Israel pretty much uh, uh, since early September and uh, had a a wonderful Shabbat dinner in uh, Jerusalem a couple of days ago with um, very senior members of the Israeli government, uh, war cabinet uh, members. And naturally, as one does, 
during conversations about the li- about the life and fate of the Jewish people, uh, Gary Bauer came up in conversation. Oh my goodness, are they going to draft me, Tom? Um, and uh, this uh, senior member, this unmentioned uh, senior member, says uh, asks me directly, "Why hasn't Gary been uh, to Israel since the war?" And I fumbled and mumbled and said, Gary, you know, he's busy. He's getting his typewriter fixed. He's got problems with his Betamax, so on, his blah, 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 blah. And this senior person said, um, can you convey a message to Gary Bauer for me? I said, I'd, I'd be happy to. There are two kinds of courageous, heroic, evangelical Christians, support, Christian supporters of Israel. There are those like Gary Bauer who stand with Israel, and there are those like many, many others who are willing to stand in Israel. So <laughs> that was the message. Well, I did you tell him, remind him that I spend several hours every week with America's one of America's leading Jews Tom Rose. Uh, and, <laughs> and does I, I mean, I still have to go to the <laughs> homeland in order to get my bona fides uh, stamped. And uh, I, I'm afraid, Tom, with I'm on so many lists here uh, under the Biden administration. If I leave the country, I might not even be allowed. And you know in. what? I mean, maybe if God forbid things don't go our way, you might not want to. I, I want to step back. I mean, you've you've been here, uh, been in the States. I just returned. Uh, uh, yesterday morning, I'll be here for a couple weeks. I, I, I want to focus for a minute on Iowa in a sense that I haven't heard or read much about. We have a political figure in the person of Donald Trump, who not only has the proverbial nine lives, this guy has an unlimited number of lives. What we've witnessed over the past seven years is, is beyond extraordinary. It's something that's utterly unprecedented in the annals of uh, democratic governance. This man has faced seven years of unending federal and state investigations, a, an unprecedented Republican establishment attempt to deny him the nomination back in 2016. Uh, there were uh, post-2016 election efforts that have conveniently been forgotten, by uh, so-called establishment never-Trumper Republicans to get Trump electors to defect so that even though he won the election, he would be deprived of being able to win the election. He faced two years of a Republican majority in the House led by Speaker Paul Ryan that undermined his most basic efforts. We had three years of this Russia collusion harassment an unprecedented amalgam of media collusions, two impeachments, hundreds of last-minute election law changes in 2020 to defeat him with tens of millions of unsupervised ballots, unprecedented big tech censorship. He's now facing four uh, federal indictments with 91 charges, a maximum of like 755 years in federal prison. Um, untold attempts by Democrats, so-called mainstream Democrats, to take his name off the ballot in 2024, and he wins 
an unpre- he wins a blowout Iowa caucus. There's never been any figure in the history of this country or any Democratic country that I'm familiar with who is as resilient and indestructible as Donald Trump. Uh, Tom, um, uh, amen and hallelujah. I mean, every word you said, I, I agree with. It's uh, You're stating the obvious facts, whether one uh, – I, I like Trump, as you know. So do uh, I. Uh, but whether you like him or not, everything he said is true. Uh, it's also true that he is right when he says it's not just Trump derangement uh, syndrome – that would be its own problem, uh, but it would be a manageable problem. It just would mean you've got to find somebody other than Trump to carry the same message. They don't like him, and they don't like the millions of people that voted for him. They think he is a threat to everything they believe in, and they believe the people that voted for him are a threat. They're right, and, in a sense. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, this, this new thing that's come up is uh, uh, Christian nationalism. Um, that that the term is being thrown around left and right, and, uh, and and there are some quizzling Christians that have run to microphones to say it's a very bad thing, and we are certainly not that, and we we distance ourselves from anybody in, in the body of Christ that's a Christian nationalist. It's totally inappropriate. So, yeah, what's you know what's a Christian? Somebody that loves Jesus, and what's a nationalists it's a really strong patriot so these are people that you know believe in the god of the bible love jesus and really love america which fits the description of the majority of the american people from oh i don't know about 10 years before the revolution uh, all the way up until three weeks ago you know i mean maybe it's uh, controversial now but it never has been before well what is the opposite of christian nationalists it's a secular globalist, and that's who we're fighting. And they and they are furious not only that we exist, but that we are in the public square pushing back against LGBTQ nonsense, against transmania. We've, we're we're pushing back against their efforts to limit First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights. We're pushing back against the growth of the big state. We're we're pushing back. Hide your ears, Tom. Against endless wars that we refuse to win. <laughs> we're pushing back against all kinds of things, and they don't like it. They're they're furious about it. They thought they had us done, and they are doing all the things you do in an authoritarian society to stomp out any opposition. And it ought to, it ought to, well, I started to say it ought to scare people to death, but that's wrong. It should infuriate you. And if it doesn't infuriate you, and if you're not willing to do anything about it, then you, not them, any of us that are not willing to do something about this, we are the ones that have betrayed every patriot uh, in the history of America that is sacrificed to create this country, preserve this country, and make it a force for good in the world. So is it that you are you're afraid to visit Israel because you're scared or because um, mm. are, are you scared? Is that what it is, Gary? No. <laughs> 
yeah, I have several people who love me that wish I was afraid more often. I know. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I know you are. You know, it's just, uh, uh, you know, I just. You're busy. I get it. I get it. I mean. And what am I busy at? I'm busy going after the Biden administration and the anti-Semites right here in the United States. I get it. I mean, there are things more important to you than the survival of the state of Israel, you know, the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. I get it. I get it. Seriously. I want to, I want to pivot off something you indicated you, you had mentioned earlier, almost tongue in cheek about LGBT and transition. It seems to me that the Biden administration itself is now transitioning, changing from a he to she. You notice who's now out front mm. is is uh, Kamala Kamala Harris, our illustrious vice president. If you run down the list of horribles that this administration, this campaign is going to have to uh, uh, deal with, if there's a remotely honest media, which I guess I've answered my own question, you've got everything from day one through now. First week of the Biden presidency, he removes the Houthis from the terror list. He cancels the Keystone XL pipeline, which was followed by this disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, an open border debacle that is not a, 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 a crisis that he inherited. This is the result of policies that he has adopted He's now, of course, blaming Texas for his active policy of opening the border. This, uh, the claim that uh, the state of Texas watched these three migrants drowned, uh, preventing Border Patrol from saving them. Uh, Biden's own Department of Justice has now confirmed that they drowned an hour before Border Patrol even showed up uh, at the gate to inform Texas, but the White House is sticking to the smear. You go down the list, energy policies that have led to a, a 50% increase in gasoline prices, inflation. Now the cumulative impact of inflation, almost 20%, while median wages have grown about 3%. Um, we now have identity politics married to the federal bureaucracy, this terrible mishandling of COVID that shut the country down for an additional year, trillions in utterly unnecessary and, and inflationary spending, this weakness on the international stage, which I believe signaled uh, to Vladimir Putin that he could invade Ukraine and get away with it, yep. this coddling of China, this, this appeasing of Iran, which I think ultimately will prove to, to um, be the most bitterest of fruits that he's uh, sown, the sacrificing of Israel. He's politicized law enforcement. He's politicizing our military. Then there's the question of his character. I mean, this guy is a corrupt, cheap, $5 suit grifter. He's a serial liar. Uh, and I think the American people are on to all of this, whether or not they approve or disapprove of Donald Trump's tweets. Yeah, it's, it's a great summary, Tom. I, I mean, I'm a little concerned. You know, I, I, I'm going to say in my daily report that I do today um, that uh, his, his mental and increasingly physical limitations are there for everybody to see. You know, we've talked about it and, and everybody kind of, you know, he, he, he finds it hard to get off of a stage. You know, you know he, uh, 
he, he will lapse into in speeches to just gibberish. There'll be whole sentences that mean absolutely nothing. Uh, and the list goes on and on. I don't think uh, you didn't do it, but I don't think the Republican Party or anybody involved in this whole enterprise should waste one more second talking about his physical and mental limitations. Because I think increasingly there is a chance that at the Democrat convention, if not before, he will uh, come up on the stage the first day of the convention, announce that uh, Donald Trump and MAGA is uh, a deadly threat to America. He does not have the energy to do all that has to be done. He's going to put America first and uh, he's going to not run for reelection. And the convention delegates have been set loose uh, to pick their own nominee. And a couple hours after that, uh, it will be announced that Michelle Bachman or Michelle Bachman, <laughs> Michelle, Michelle Obama is, is going to address the convention. If only it was Michelle Bachman, uh, although she probably wouldn't get out of there to lie. That's right. Uh, anyway, uh, so and, and we'll be, you know, and people will say, oh, well, this guy or this woman, they got vitality. Their health is great. They're sharp as a tack. We got to stay focused on these failed left wing policies. Because any of the and there's no possible nominee of the Democrat Party that will not be all in on the stuff that we are seeing under Biden, whether he fully realizes it or, or, or not, you know, what uh, what he's doing. I think he does realize it. But uh, at, at any rate, um, so uh, it's we're really at an extraordinary time. Did you hear in Israel, Tom, that the night that uh, he won in Iowa? CNN and MSNBC would not play his remarks at his victory celebration uh, at the uh, at the end of the day. Now, that's exactly what you would have expected in Eastern Europe under uh, Soviet communism, what you would expect in any authoritarian company, any authoritarian country today. Uh, You just go down the list. Everything that is being done. It is a, a direct conflict with being a constitutional republic. And uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they're so aggressively going after people that were here on January 6th, because as they do these things, they want to make any American that might be tempted to come to Washington and demonstrate think twice, three times, a, a dozen times. Uh, you better not. If you know what's good for you. All this all this talk about saving democracy, I wonder if the American people were polled about which party poses the greatest threat to our constitutional republic. And it's interesting that these questions have not been asked by any of the establishment polling operations. I wonder what the results would actually be. My hunch is you would find a far greater percentage of Americans perceiving, in my view, correctly, that it's this Democrat authoritarian impulse, which is far more dangerous to the maintenance of our democracy than January 6th or Republican quote-unquote efforts. The irony is, is, is multifaceted here. On the one hand, as this administration uh, continues to attempt to crack down on any domestic political assent, dissent, uh, uh, 
uh, politicizing federal law enforcement, politicizing the military, uh, injecting our our bureaucracy with these these uh, uh, DEI nostrums. The administration uh, isn't isn't content to let their efforts uh, to impose political uh, 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 political uniformity here at home. I mean, there are attempts right now, White House leaks. Uh, trying to undermine the democratically elected government of the state of Israel. And, and these are White House leaks that yes. uh, President Biden, you know, the Biden administration is uh, looking to work with uh, Israeli political parties to ensure that uh, the winner of the next election in Israel, which is coming up, we don't know when, uh, my hunch is around Thanksgiving, that's my guess, um, around the time of ours, uh, to defeat Benjamin Netanyahu, who may not even run. I mean, we don't know what, I mean, I, we can get into the discussion about what his political future might be, but, uh, and parenthetically, my sense after having spent, you know, the better part of four months there now is that, uh, the Israeli people are so intent on a clean sweep that everybody's going to be washed out to sea. But the, the broader point is that this administration is doing the bidding of Hamas, whether it knows it or not. Um, and these Islamists, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders included, as Iran works to obtain nuclear weapons. I mean, this, I, I, I mean, the, the Anyway, it's a it's a terrible situation. They're first out of the box to criticize uh, any government, particularly if they're aligned with the United States. What kind of a message do you think it sends to our enemies when our White House is publicly leaking its efforts to undermine the legitimacy of a democratically elected ally? I mean, let Israelis determine what future leadership their country will be under. Well, Tom, that, that's why it's proof positive in my mind. And in the past, when the Democrats would do things like that, it was always, I think, just left, you know, like during the Cold War, you know, there were, there were contacts between leading Democrats and the Soviet Union uh, off, off the uh, formal uh, agenda, you know, and, and there, there was suggestion, there's suggestions at Watergate was actually about Nixon's fear that the Democrats were negotiating with North Vietnam uh, over, you know, around the government of the United States. Um, but now it's it's different. It's it's not the, these people. They are globalists. And so any country in the world uh, that elects a government that embraces nationhood and the idea that nations matter and that they're going to put their nation first. Uh, so you get a pro-American government in Brazil. The Biden administration went after that government. And the result was that, that the, in, a, in an election, it may not have been a legitimate election. A lefty was elected who the first thing the guy did was invite Iran to have port visiting uh, privileges in Brazil. Um, you know, Hungary, they, they go, Poland, yeah, Hungary, Poland. Exactly. There was a little story this week that the son of either the current president of Guatemala or the former president of Guatemala, which the administration didn't like. But he was a he was a conservative guy and he was standing up for certain things. All of a sudden, his son was having a hard time 
coming into the United States, even though in recent years he had traveled on his visa to the United States multiple times. He was held up at, a, at the Miami airport and not allowed to leave. Uh, you know, well, we need to do an investigation about you before you can leave. So they, they are wielding this power, and it's always in the service to uh, international interests. They're, they're, they continue to negotiate with the World Health Organization that has been totally compromised by communist China to turn over American sovereignty for the next pandemic to the World Health Organization. They're calling the agreement that we're getting ready to sign an accord rather than a treaty because they don't want to submit it to the United States Senate that would never agree to giving up our sovereignty, letting you know, the World Health Organization say, okay, we have another pandemic. All nations must shut down their economies. That's what the goal of this is. And then our elected officials can say, oh, it's not under my control. I mean, we signed an agreement, you know. Um, so this is it's dangerous stuff. I I was saying this morning, uh, poor Carol, get, as you know, here's these rants. Do you remember, Tom, in uh, in 2016, when Trump was uh, uh, trying to get the nomination, which he finally succeeded in doing? And we you know, we found out, obviously, they were monitoring him. Uh, you know, he said they were they're wiretapping me and everyone. <laughs> they don't even do wiretaps But they were. They were monitoring his communications. We found out later that Trump wasn't the only one. They were doing it to Ted Cruz. They were doing it to uh, Rand Paul. Now, you and I don't agree with Rand Paul, particularly on his views in the Middle East. But what do those three have in common? They they're guys that like, you know. America, America, that's the, that's what this is. It's not about anything else. It's about doing what's best for America. People in that are currently voting in the Republican primary, um, they ought to ask Nikki Haley why there's no evidence that anybody's monitoring her from the deep state. Because if this authoritarian regime we increasingly are living under are not monitoring you and the opposition party, I suspect it's a pretty good sign that they're not afraid of you because they don't think you'll do anything right. at the end of the day about what they're doing to America. Right. What is the um, – oh, there is no path, obviously. I'm about to answer my own question. Uh, President Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, barring, God forbid, death or disability or imprisonment, even though I don't think that would uh, prevent him – from winning the nomination. Why are DeSantis and Haley uh, still running? Why are they still in it? She thinks she might win New Hampshire. First of all, she won't. Even if she does, it's utterly irrelevant. That is what folks don't realize. Uh, New Hampshire, as you know, Gary, it's an open primary. So Democrats vote, Republicans vote. Adding to that, the Democrats, the DNC, have actually announced a boycott of New Hampshire because they didn't uh, subscribe to DNC rules. So there the is no have nothing to do on election day, but interfere in our primary. That's exactly right. So any Democrat that shows up to vote, there is no Democrat ballot there. Uh, they'll vote for someone other than Donald Trump. So let's say that Nikki Haley manages to win New Hampshire. I don't think she will, but let's say she does. Six days after New Hampshire, South Carolina, where she's behind by 50 points. 
she'll get three, four days of good headlines, but that's it. I, I don't understand why. What's the purpose of continuing to run? And Ron DeSantis, who I like, I've made no secret of that. I think he would be a terrific president. You and I might disagree on that. Uh, gave yeah, this like gave this uh, victory speech in in uh, Iowa on uh, Monday night. A victory speech by a guy who loses by thirty one points. What what's yeah. going on here? Yeah, well, having been a candidate myself, Tom, I uh, I, I became adept at uh, explaining fifth place finishes as. Uh, a subtle victory that was all part of my plan (laughs) (laughs) so that my three donors would continue (laughs) to write me another check. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 it's more mystifying in the case of DeSantis. I look, I think Nikki Haley is up to no good. I, I I think it is possible that she may be, tempted to to uh now it would be a big risk and she'd be done forever but i think she might be tempted to run on the no labels ticket in order to stop the republican party being uh, destroyed by donald trump which of course would probably guarantee see i see her as being too opportunistic to do that you know what i mean i think she's such an operator that she wouldn't do that because she thinks she might be positioning herself, mistakenly in my view, as a front runner in a post-Trump era. But perhaps well, I'm too that, cynical. That, that's probably the only other explanation you can come up with why why DeSantis and Nikki are uh, Haley are are continuing in the race. You know that they they know the actuarial tables as well as anybody else. It's possible that, you know, something will happen untoward uh, or tragic with Donald Trump. Uh, Irrespective, he's done in 29 anyway. I mean, the- yeah, right. Uh, but but see, I would think that you would want to, to handle yourself in a way that you would be in a Trump cabinet and, and have that opportunity to get visibility so that if at the end of those four years, there's a big battle. You've just you've been seeing the American people every day. You've been implementing things that were, are going to be very good. Uh, so uh, I, I I don't know the you, you know the one county that uh, Trump lost in Iowa. Uh, it was because of Democrats. It was one of these. I think it was the least populated county uh, in Iowa. He lost by one vote. Uh, and uh, a reporter from CBS said that he was in the caucus there, and he said these people kept coming in asking for ballots, and he said they were all Democrats. And he said the people running the caucus had to go out to somebody's house and get more ballots. Seventy-five Democrats cast a vote in that caucus in that county, and Trump lost the vote by one, and all the votes were counted. Uh, I think it could be I think they, you know, it's possible they'll they'll do this to him even worse in New Hampshire. And I think Kelly believes there'll be such a drumbeat and he can't win. This shows he can't win, you know, that she could still get the nomination. Oh, I, I don't see any path. I don't see any path. Of at course all. not. I mean, that she has to be delusional. First of all, the Trump people. Uh, Trump nation, quote unquote, MAGA nation, which is now an epithet, of course, have 
soured on her. I think she has she's a nice lady, obviously. Uh, she was a good ambassador at the United Nations. She followed instruction and direction pretty clearly. It was the Trump White House uh, where I was. Not that I'm taking credit because I didn't have any 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 uh, direct interactions with her during her tenure, but it was the White House that directed her uh, yeah. in terms of like any U.N. ambassador. She, she acts sir- like she was conducting her own foreign policy at the United Nations. She would have been out of there in 24 hours if that was the case. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And she was very supportive of the president. She uh, and the president liked her. Uh, she quit. She, I think, was only there 16, 17 months, wasn't even there a full two years. And then, of course, the backbiting started and the the uh, 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 criticisms started. I just think that it's it's pretty transparent. She's revealed herself to be not terribly substantive, uh, flip-flopping in a way on many issues. Uh, she, I think, lacks the strength or the gravitas that... Uh, our base would be looking for. Frankly, I think the American people would be looking for. No matter who wins this election, we are in for a tsunami of a whirlwind, of a typhoon, of a tornado, of a hurricane. No matter what happens, it's going to be a very tumultuous four years. If Donald Trump wins, we're going to see a lot of violence because that's the way the left operates. When they don't get their way, They become violent. And for those who respond by saying, what about January 6th? I say, yes, January 6th. You had several hundred people who behave very, very badly, illegally, uh, during a a uh, two-hour raucous demonstration slash riot at the Capitol that was put down in two hours. These people have been pursued by every lever of law enforcement for three years running. The Justice Department brags openly that it's the most comprehensive, sophisticated, and thorough law enforcement investigation in American history, whereas we had an entire summer of violence by the left that not only wasn't uh, 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 pursued by law enforcement, but was openly encouraged by the media, by Democrats. The White House was besieged, billions of dollars in property damage uh, uh, throughout the summer of uh, 2020, the so-called summer of love, absolute mayhem. And if Biden wins or manages to find a way to overcome his own horrendous polling numbers. By the way, Donald Trump never, ever fell below 40% in approval ratings. Biden is now in the low 30s. Don't put anything past the Democrats in terms of uh, shenanigans. Uh, This will be a close election, in my view, no matter what the polls say. But Donald Trump always seems to outperform his own polls, right? In 2020, he was uh, five to seven points down on election eve, lost by, what, a point and a half or two points. In 2016, we all know the numbers. Um, it was. Uh, I think it's because the intimidation factor. Absolutely. 100%. Will not of course. Tell the truth. Of course. See somebody claiming to be a pollster, right? It could, you could be talking to an FBI agent for all they know. That's right. So, you know, yeah, That's no, right. I'd say, uh, I, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Tom. Um, you know, by the way, just the other day when you were in, still in Israel, 
There was a big demonstration by the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party outside the White House. And uh, it was it was very violent. Uh, The White House was evacuated. People were taken to safer quarters. Uh, Historical monuments in the area were uh, damaged and uh, spray painted again. Uh, There won't be any follow up on that. There were no arrests during that. And there'll be no follow up and attempt to find out and uh, bring to justice the people that were engaged in it. You know, there's and this is very uh, endemic in the Jewish world. The question being asked, not just in the Jewish world, but I think among normative Americans, you know, why would these anti-Israel activists think that infuriating thousands of people by blocking freeways and um, preventing uh, uh, traffic at airports would win allies for their cause? I think that that question is based on an incorrect assumption that Bingo. these that these activists are trying to persuade others or win sympathy for others from those that are sitting on the fence. I think that these demonstrators, and I'll call them violent demonstrators, because when you tie up traffic for hours and prevent people from uh, getting to where they need to go or missing planes or uh, trying to get to hospitals or whatever it is, these demonstrators like Hamas and these other uh, decolonization uh, groups, their purpose isn't trying to win you over. Their purpose is to make our lives miserable while forcing people to draw a, a mental connection between that misery and the political status quo. They're trying to make life intolerable. Right. If the costs of continuing to support Israel are too high, they're hoping Americans will start to to lobby their elected officials to capitulate to these terrorists, both at home and abroad, so they can get to the airports, so they can get to their jobs. I think that's a um, I think it's a fool's errand. I don't think it'll work, but they're not trying to win anybody over. They're trying to paralyze the country. They're trying purposefully to make lives miserable and to force a capitulation based on a quality of life issue. Yeah, I think, you know, I also think, Tom, there's a little bit you know, in, the, in the summer of love, as you uh, sarcastically referred to it, the rioting that happened uh, in multiple U.S. cities, you know, the pattern was the same. There would be very well-meaning people um, in many cases marching for racial justice um, although some of their slogans were suspect, in my view. Uh, but then as the day would go on and night would fall, most of those people would go back home and groups would then break off and engage in um, mayhem, looting stores, setting fires. Uh, the, one of the big things that was different in the summer of 2020 uh, th- than any previous time was there was a very intentional effort to take those violent demonstrations out of the cities into suburban areas. Uh, in, in D.C., you know, usually these sorts of things are downtown along the 14th Street corridor, uh, you know, around different government buildings. They took it into Georgetown, uh, into the neighborhoods in Georgetown. Right. Um, the, so the, 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 I think what was being sent was a not too subtle message of, You elect Donald Trump, and this is what you're going to see in every neighborhood in America. 
we're going to you know, there is going to be a war in America and you're going to be hiding in your house for the next four years. Uh, I think that these demonstrators, I, I, there has to be a more aggressive word than demonstrators, because um, these aren't simple demonstrators. These are violent. I'd call them anarchists, but they're they're not. They're hate filled, anti-Western they don't simply want anarchy. They want a totalitarian slash authoritarian uh, vision of governments imposed upon the country. So far, I think their their faith in the kindness of the American people hasn't been proven incorrect. I mean, think about it. You're driving. You see these demonstrators. You don't run them over. You put your car in park rather than plowing ahead. I think that even though the cops have started arresting some of these demonstrators that are blocking major roads and airports. There's little reason to believe I've seen no evidence that any of these people that are being arrested are going to face any serious consequence. Right. And, and since, right. Since blocking traffic in most locales is, is, you know, a, a misdemeanor, uh, DAs are likely going to see this, um, as little reason to devote, all kinds of resources to cracking down on these aspects of what is a domestic terror campaign. That's what it is. One of the encouraging things about all of it, Tom, is is there are a number of incidents now enough to uh, to be excited about where people they don't run them down, but people get out of their cars and they, you know, particularly men. And, uh, you know, they look at the car next to them and say, hey, you you you're going to help me here. And they they move people out of the way. You, you know, uh, the, there was uh, some serious stuff going on at one of the New York airports a few weeks ago when they did this. And outraged passengers were swinging uh, luggage pieces, you know, getting people out of their way so they could make their flight. Uh, you know, I, I think there's um, th- there's a, a, a an encouraging uppiness among American citizens. They've they've had it, not just about these people, but about a lot of things. And um, and and they're reacting to it. I I think Uh, something big is happening, not just in America, but in the West. Um, It was the sociologist Ruth Benedict who who came up with this theme that there are shame cultures and guilt cultures. Um, The shame cultures like Greece and Rome as opposed to the guilt cultures like uh, Judeo-Christian civilization and ethics, um, both of these cultures teach people how they should behave. Um, But they've got very different approaches to wrongdoing. What matters in a shame culture is what other people think of you. That's the fear is that we're moving or we certainly were moving toward a shame culture because all the emphasis was on canceling and and shaming everyone into a uh, a certain pattern of behavior the embarrassment the loss of face whereas in in guilt cultures or guilt civilizations it's the inner voice of conscience that is supposed to tell you how to behave in shame cultures were actors playing our part on a public stage. That's a direct, that's a quote uh, from Rabbi, the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, who wrote beautifully about this issue. Whereas guilt cultures force us, compel us to battle uh, the better angels of our own nature. In shame cultures, if we're caught doing wrong, there's a stain on our character. 
in a guilt culture, uh, there's a there's a sharp distinction made uh, between the doer and the deed, right? The sinner and the sin. That's why guilt cultures focus on atonement, on repentance, on apology, on forgiveness. The act was wrong, but on our character, if we repent, we apologize. Um, there's no indelible stain. The- well, one of that just one short comment that one of the things that sustains civilizations is fear of punishment in this life or the next life. Right. And both of those have been severely eroded. Oh, absolutely. The, the, um, before my, my brilliant exegesis was so rudely interrupted by Bauer, who was too afraid to go to Israel. Um, in shame cultures, if you do wrong, the final rule is don't get caught. And if you are caught, bluff your way through it. Lie your way through it. Only admit wrong when every other alternative presented before you has failed. Because you'll be disgraced probably forever. There's no redemption. And that's what we have to reject. And that's the culture, I think, that has now become so suffocating, there's pushback against it. Because people know inherently that it's, it's our inner values and beliefs that should guide our behavior, not what people in an establishment that we're not a part of, whose values we don't agree with, whose purposes we reject, should impose upon us standards of behavior that violate our most fundamental beliefs and principles. Yeah, it's great, great analysis, Tom. Here, here's a little thing for people to ponder. Um, uh, l- let's leave the uh, Muslims out of it a second, although clearly um, you many of the participants in these uh, civil disobedience things that we're seeing uh, are, are radicalized Muslims that, you know, have been shown um, mercy by the United States. We let them come in to go to our universities, whatever the reason is, but they're now perfectly willing to wave uh, Hamas flags, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the horror that was committed by that organization. But talking about uh, good old homegrown American leftists, if you, if you had to ask somebody only one question to determine whether they would be on the side of Israel or not, the, the best question to ask would probably be, do you attend church regularly? Because there's a, there is a provable correlation between attending church and believing Israel is the good guys. And America is the good guy. Because remember, the, right. it's, it's. Yes, yes. The other question you could ask, and, and in some ways, it would probably be just as uh, telling. Uh, you could ask somebody, do you think men can get pregnant? And if they said yes. I bet 99% of the time they think Israel's wrong and Hamas is right. And, and people go, what? Why would there be a correlation between that? Because these people are anti-Western civilization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Hamas is attacking one of the pillars of Western civilization in a military way. So, of course, they're going to be with Hamas. And the, and the Jews are people of the book, people of the Bible, and they're linked with the Christians, and the, the Christians and the Jews are the bad guys. Uh, and you know that 
uh, Christians and uh, Torah-believing Jews uh, believe that God created the world and made mankind men and women. Uh, and so you cannot think of a better, you know, offensive, uh, nihilistic, uh, anarchic thing to say than, of course, men can get pregnant. <laughs> the 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 Israel America connection is such that it's now almost undeniable because these protesters, these rioters, these mayhem uh, creators uh, aren't just targeting Israel; they're targeting the United States and these international institutions that that the Biden administration and Obama before him have pushed so hard to fund to support, to empower. Here you've got Israel, which is the victim of an attempted genocide by Hamas and Iran, which declare openly at every opportunity their intent to kill every Jew on the planet and wipe Israel off the map. Um, are now Israel is now defending itself at the International Court of Justice against it attempting Genocide. Israel went to war in Gaza to prevent the genocide of its own people after the attempted genocide of 10-7. So acting to prevent genocide in this new upside-down world that we live in is now considered genocide by an established UN uh, institution that uh, the Biden administration hasn't uttered one syllable against. It's it's just remarkable. I mean, that the ICJ um, is being used against the Israeli victims uh, to accuse them falsely of the very crime that they've been subjected to. Yeah. And again, Tom, it's just it's it's this globalist issue. Right. If the Biden administration attempted to use the American legal system or if they had a majority on the Supreme Court, that would go along with them on this, or they were using our own justice department to label Israel as war criminals, the country would erupt. I mean, there would be a political price that would wipe the Democrats right off the map. But if you empower international organizations to do it and don't speak up and resist when they do it, then you can get away with it. You have deniability. Well, you know, do you think Israel's committed war crimes? Well, you know, we we're concerned about the number of uh, civilians that are being killed in Gaza. Uh, but I'm not going to comment any further because this issue is being uh, dealt with right now at the world court. And they're the experts uh, that have been uh, anointed by the international community uh, to look at these kinds of questions. And uh, we'll see what their decision is. So this is it is a methodical step by step by step loss of sovereignty of the American people, transfer of our sovereignty to international bodies. Uh, at the same time, we erase our borders, allow millions of people in. You are witnessing, my friends, the erasure of America, of the place called America. I, I think that's that's well said. And Israel and the U.S. are interchangeable in all of the arguments, all of the efforts to delegitimize one because one goes hand in hand with the other. I, I, my sense is we make a big mistake when we constantly try to reassure our opponents 
or our critics of our decency, of our humanity, particularly in the sense of Israel. Why is Israel being accused of committing the same crime as her enemies? Um, I think an element of that, a measure of that, and it certainly applies to America and our, our concept, our notion of American exceptionalism, is because Israel, like the U.S., goes to greater lengths than any other country on earth to reduce the number of civilian casualties among its enemy population, even at the cost of its own soldiers. I think the more we make that case, the more people hate us. And I think it, go, yeah, it goes for the sake. There's goes an irony and or a contradiction here that if you try so hard to not have civilian casualties, you are actually admitting that civilian casualties makes your war effort illegitimate, which means we would never have won a war in the entire history of the country. <laughs> I mean, it's just um, while we've been talking, Tom, now this is not directly on point, but it's broadly speaking on this issue of the disappearance of America. Uh, David Rubin, Dave Rubin, you sure. may see him. Sure, sure, sure. He's, uh, he's at the airport right now. Uh, and he says, uh, this is the state of absolute insanity happening at our airports. I'm in the pre-TSA line where migrants don't have to get an ID to get through security. And he said, it's their choice whether they want their picture taken to board the plane. And he then uh, sends an image of what's being handed out to migrants in the, uh, in the line. And it's uh, non-U.S. citizen document validation using CBP-1 technology, how it works. Number one, notify the TSA officer you are a migrant. Two, the TSA officer will take a photo. And then in parenthesis, optional. And then if requested, provide your alien identification number or biographic information. Four, follow officer instructions. And then at the bottom, photo capture is voluntary. You may decline to have your photo taken. If you do not wish to have your photo taken, please notify a TSA officer. Tom, they're being treated better than U.S. citizens. <laughs> this is this is ins- it's more than insanity. It and it's not. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the legal definition of treason, but it's treasonous type type behavior. It's it's treating Americans increasingly as if we are way down the list of people who the federal government of the United States is responsible for taking care of. We are way down the list. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's 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 not a stretch to reach that conclusion. Get used to it, peasant. That's, right. Uh, look, as they say at Davos, get used, you know, so they, a year or so ago, somebody at Davos gave this speech and said, in another 20 years, you will not own anything. You, you will not have any money in the bank. Uh, and you will love it because everything will be taken care of for you. The new president of Argentina, Javier Mille, at Davos on Thursday. Collectivism is a failure everywhere. It 
can't be promoted. It can't be uh, justified or excused. He goes to Davos. It was Trump-esque. Remember 2017 when he went to Davos? Same thing. This guy goes there and shoves it right back at them, that your experiments have failed. Socialism is a failure. I am now the elected president of a country that has uh, reaped the whirlwind of socialism. Uh, it was a brilliant speech, and I don't... And now they're going to reap the whirlwind, corrective whirlwind of populism. That's right. That's right. I don't, I don't know any way around it, but um, we're out of time. Not that that's yes. ever stopped us. Yes. Not that uh, that's ever stopped us. Stop. Um, you, you know, folks, if, if you tune in for the Bauer and Rose, or if you prefer the Rose and Bauer podcast, uh, and, and one week... We're not there, and there's no evidence we ever were. <laughs> um, well, I'll leave it to you to what conclusion you should reach. Uh, but it's funny, but it's not out of the question. I think I mentioned you, Tom. I know a former member of Congress. I'm not going to name any names, but he and his family have been visited twice by an FBI knock on the door. And the FBI won't tell them why they want to talk to this former member of Congress. And this former member of Congress is refusing to talk to them unless they tell the former member of Congress uh, what the subject matter is, at which point they will get a call back from his attorney. All right. One other. I know we're out of time. Uh, The rumors that Elise Stefanik might be the vice presidential pick. Oh, my goodness. I would love it. I would love it. You know, they, there are people saying that Trump may still pick Nikki Haley. I saw that. I saw I, that. I hope that's out there only because he'd like her to get out of the race, thinking that that's the only way she's going to have a chance. If he picks Nikki Haley, Tom, I think that would cause— He's to not going to pick Nikki Haley. But Elise Stefanik understands how to win public debates. More than 98% of the Republican Party— understand i couldn't agree more and she's from new york yeah um she's from upstate well, we that again. exactly up well no no upstate new york yes uh, is, is trump country we are now criminally over yes. time over time have a great weekend everybody we'll talk to you soon make sure hit that subscribe button give us a five-star rating and recommend us to friend and foe alike you have been listening to the bauer and rose show right here on sirius xm the patriot channel 125 god bless everybody have a great week